One of the most important things that everybody listening to this podcast should be doing is I'm just going to be completely honest, and I've never said this before. As I've come to learn even more so this year, and as I hope I'll continue to realize in 2021, the ultimate goal is... This is part two of my look back at 2020 and my look forward at 2021. If you've not listened to part one, go back and listen to that first. Um, in this episode, I'm going to continue to look at the, the ways that I want to improve in 2021 and the ways that I know I went wrong or could have improved all the lessons that I've learned in 2020. So without further ado, I'm Stephen Bartlett and this is the Diary of a CEO. I hope nobody's listening, but if you are, then please keep this to yourself. The next point in my diary is one that I've banged on about in this podcast like a broken record, but I just I just know how important it's been for me in 2020 that I'm just going to give it just a couple of more sentences. And this is that word consistency. Um, if you're watching YouTube, um, you'll see that I've been very consistent with the gym this year, but it's it st- stretches across all facets of my life. I, I had this real revel- revelation. I think it was actually when... Um, it was two things happening at the same time. It's when I hit a million followers on Instagram and I thought about the reason why I achieved that. And I realized that it was literally just posting every single day and learning and trying to, and, and looking at the analytics and getting a little bit better and then posting again for years and years and years. And when I saw that my first 900 posts had got me 10,000 followers and the next 900 posts had got me 1.1 million. And then I started reading about compounding interest and how consistency in money um, achieves the same effect. And it's really all about time and patience and showing up every day with your investments. And uh, as I reflected on The Slight Edge, which is one of my favorite books of all time, which talks about how the small things repeated over time are much more powerful than the singular big decisions we make, that I've just fallen in love with this idea of consistency. And and the reason why I'm talking about it again on this podcast is because it pops in my head every day and it pops in my head at the times when it most needs to pop in my head, like the gym last night. I'm sat here, I'm sat in my, uh, my apartment. It's midnight. I'm thinking I'm fucking tired. I've got to wake up on Saturday as I am right now and be consistent and do this podcast at 8am on Saturday morning. But I also need to go to the gym. And so that voice creeps in. It says, fuck it, just go to bed. Right fuck it off. But then this new voice appears in my mind these days and it goes, Steve, but remember the power of consistency. And it's these moments, it's these moments where you don't want to do it that are going to make all the difference. And it's these moments where people typically bail. And so it must be these moments that are most valuable. These, these must be the moments that most people don't overcome. And so I drag my ass up every day and go to the gym. And then when I'm at the gym, as I was last night, I'm sat there thinking, bro, you're tired, right? I had my pre-workout, but um, it, it started to wear off. It's 1am and I'm thinking, Steve, you've done five sets. I know you usually do six, but just pack it in and go home now. But then this voice shows up again and goes, Steve, consistency. Remember the power of consistency. You've seen it all year in your life. Just do that last set. And again, as I said, it's um, I'm recording this podcast at, on Saturday. We woke up, uh, uh, all of the team, not just myself, at 8 a.m. to do this because we know we have to be consistent with this podcast. Historically, we've not been, but you, we've seen this year the power of being consistent. The podcast this year is doing three times more downloads and listeners, and it's growing quickly than it did in all previous years where, where I wasn't consistent. And this voice shows up in my head. I don't, I don't want to wake up... I got into bed at what, 3am last night. I woke up this morning at what, 5am to start writing this podcast and to going through my notes and stuff like that. Like two hours sleep. I don't have to be doing this shit. 
right? But I know that the goal I want to achieve with the podcast and with all these other areas of my life, like my health, my fitness, my business, depend on me being consistent, especially in the moments where every part of my body, you can probably tell I'm pretty tired now if you're watching me on YouTube, tells me not to be. Um, And that's why I'm just the biggest evangelist of consistency. And listen, if you're bored of it, then, uh, then good, because hopefully you'll be so bored that you might give it a try. The next point in my diary is one that I actually talked about um, when the pandemic first broke out. And if you guys listened to the podcast I did, I think it's called the Dealing With Uncertainty or Unexpected Chaos or something like that. Um, I did this in April time when the pandemic first struck. Um, and the topic is optimism and proactivity. And these two words are so incredibly important to me. I learned a very valuable lesson this year when, you know, our business in March was absolutely smashed. I think we lost 50% of our revenue in that month. We bounced back even stronger and better than ever. But in that particular month, we, we were absolutely fucked, right? And none of us knew at that time how long this fucking was going to last and how long our business was going to be smashed for. And you're faced with a bunch of um, options and moments like that. And I always speak about this burning room analogy, I call it. If a room is on fire, you typically have two types of people. You have one type of person who will literally just say, the room is on fire. Oh my God, the room is on fire. Oh my God, the room is on fire. Oh my God, the room is on fire. And eventually the fucking flames will engulf them and they're dead, right? And then you have another type of person who's in the same room with the same people and they won't need to tell you the room is on fire because clearly the room is on fire and there's no upside in dwelling upon the fact that we're all about to burn down. That type of person will have optimism and proactivity. They will be solely focused on making a plan and galvanizing others to feel the optimism to deliver upon that plan. They will say, here is how we get out of the room, right? They don't don't dwell on the fact that we're all about to burn to death because it's a waste of time. And that time and energy will take away from the, um, the chance of the solution working out. And when the pandemic hit, we could have gone one of either way, uh, one of two ways as a business. We could have dwelled negatively or we can galvanize the troops and figure out with optimism and proactivity how we're getting out of it. And it always transpires in life. In all of those moments where I thought we were going to fucking burn down, that optimism and proactivity are much of the reason we survived. And we look back on it and it wasn't actually that bad. And this is a this is a rule for any time in your life when you encounter those moments where it feels like you are finished. And I'll tell you what, we all had them this year, but you've you got more coming because that's the nature of life. When you encounter those moments where it feels like it's a wrap, um, you have to lean towards optimism and you have to lean towards creating a plan to get out of there. Anything else, anything else detracts from the solution. And also, as it relates to your friends, and as it relates to the people you keep around you and the people you hire into your businesses and the people you call your your business partners when you start your company, you need to do everything in your power to avoid people who are pessimistic and who refuse to be proactive in those situations. They are baggage. They really, really, really are baggage. And you're going to have to carry them. And there's a lot of shit you have to carry in life, right? Whether it's in your personal life or in your career. So you want to limit the amount of weight you're carrying. And those people that are negative, that dwell on all the things that could go wrong, that are um, that are quick to, to, to catastrophize about the fact that we're all fucked, those people are tremendous burdens. And in 2021, carry less of those people. People don't like when I say this, because listen, they, do you know what they say to me? And I'm just going to be completely honest, and I've never said this before, but every time I start talking about negative people, people misconstrue the point um, as I'm talking about people that suffer with their mental health. They say, Steve, well, you know, people have depression and you can't give up on them. Completely true. 
I'm not talking about those people with mental illnesses. I'm talking about people that have a disposition to always see the negativity as a reflection of their own opinion of themselves or what they've been through. They have a a predisposition to point at the negative, to, to, to immediately gravitate towards the reasons why things can't happen. Those people are fucking burdens. And I'll tell you what, they say you become like the five people you hang around with the most, right? So unbelievably true. So unbelievably true. Maybe the greatest influence on all of our lives, maybe even more so than social media, and that's one hell of an influence, is those four or five people that you let really close in your circle. And, um, it's almost unavoidable that you'll become somewhat of a, of a replica or a clone of them. When I was 14 years old, I became an indie and I started listening to the kooks and Arctic monkeys. And I started wearing skinny jeans and a little Fred, Pe Fred Perry polo shirt because the five people that I was closest to were wear that, were all those clothes. By 16, I was a total chav, right? I had like ditched all of that stuff. I was Stone Island. I was going to the football match, wearing caps and stuff, probably being a bit of a football hooligan because the five closest people to me at a very influential age, I will say, were like that. And now I'm 27, 28, can't remember my own bloody age. Now that I'm 28 years old, I, although I've shaken off a lot of that desire to conform to the, you know, the people around me, I'm still getting my energy, getting my, my worldview and getting my perspective from the people around me. And I, you know, I've done a very good job and I will continue to do a very good job of shaking off those burdens. And I think you should too, because those people, even though people will get offended when I say this, they are burdens. They're absolute burdens. They're burdens in your companies, they're burdens in your social life, they're burdens in your family. And you, your life is too short for you to carry burdens. So don't carry them. And it doesn't matter if that hurts people's feelings. It's the truth. Don't carry burdens. You're going to die. So, you know, you don't, you want to go far. You don't want to be slowed down by carrying large human shaped backpacks. The next point in my diary, I've just written, if you're easily provoked, you are easily controlled. And in 2021, please make composure your superpower. I, um, I've been very guilty of this. You know, I did this podcast and I tell people, you know, all these philosophical ideas I have and all the things I figured out about myself and how to implement them into their lives. But I still find myself falling foul of all the same bullshit and nonsense that I evangelize about, which is part of being an imperfect human being, right? And I still find myself being very easily provoked at times, whether it's in a romantic context or by some just totally random Twitter account, right? Or some random DM. I still find myself being provoked too often. Something that I've definitely, definitely improved on. I'd say I'm a hundred percent better than I was last year, but, um, but in most facets of life, if you're so, if you're susceptible to being provoked emotionally, if you're someone that is quite sensitive to, um, to, to, to someone's comments or to a stranger because of typically because of some insecurity you have. And that's a completely separate point. If, if when you are provoked, you ask yourself that question, shit, why was I offended by that? Asking myself that question has helped me identify many of my own insecurities. Because if some little random egg emoji Twitter account can, can genuinely change your mood with a 180 characters or a, a couple of words, then that speaks to some kind of internal insecurity or vulnerability, which you probably should address. Because as I said, if you're easily provoked, you're easily controlled. And it's, it's not their words that are controlling you. It's that insecurity that's still driving you. Um, one of the things I'm trying to work very hard on this year this coming year in 2021 is to be less easily provoked. And in fact, the way that I, I imagine I'll go about that is by addressing more of my insecurities. I've done a really good job though, you know, I don't think I have that many insecurities left. I still have hundreds, 
but we're down from probably millions, right? Like there's probably a million things that I was insecure about to some degree. Um, but yeah, I'll let you think about that. And the next point I've written in my diary is one that definitely applies to everybody. And it's a lesson that I've learned um, over the last couple of years, especially being a young entrepreneur that started my first business at 18 years old. And that always was dealing with older people that knew more and that were in some cases double my age. I've just written the easiest way to remove disrespectful people from your life is to start by respecting yourself. I know for sure that there's a direct correlation, a very, very, very strong, undeniable correlation between the amount of respect you have for yourself and the amount of respect you get from everybody else, especially as it relates to business, especially as it relates to personal relationships, especially as it relates to romantic relationships. I know that at certain moments in my life, the reason why I've garnered the respect I have is because I have intentionally faked being a bit of a tough guy. And uh, I think that kind of stayed with me. I'm going to try and explain this. I've had to deal with some very successful, old, experienced, wise people in business that are many years ahead of me. And if I hadn't been a fake tough guy and sometimes cussed and sometimes been a bit, you know, antagonistic and a bit, a bit violent with the protection of my boundaries... I know for sure I wouldn't be where I am today because those people will respect me as much as they think I respect myself. And I've learned this lesson, not just through my own observations of my own life, but also people around me, people who are also my age and people that I've watched deal with those same people. And I've managed to watch those same people, those old, very experienced business people, totally disrespect these people because they don't respect themselves and they're not coming with that same, I know my value, you're going to res fucking respect me or I'm going to um, violently protect my boundaries type of energy. And it was just a lesson I've learned and it applies to all facets of life, even at those outside of business and your relationships with your partner. Um, they'll typically respect you, typically, not always, some people are a little bit nicer, but they'll typically respect you as much as you demand to be respected through the precedences you set, the standards you set, through what you allow and what you accept. And it's just a really important lesson. The easiest way to remove disrespect from your life is to start by respecting yourself. And um, the next point in my diary is one that I've um, I've learned through the hiring process of hiring almost a thousand people. We have you know, seven, about 750 active employees at Social Chain. I've not hired all of them, but um, as I've hired people, but also in my sort of close friendship groups, I've learned this very, very important lesson about self-awareness. And I've just written in my diary, if someone can't accurately identify what their own flaws are, then they have the most dangerous flaw of, of them all, which is a total lack of self-awareness. And I'll be honest, the people who I am most impressed by, the people that I see achieve the most success and those that are often the most happiest, or at least those that appear to be the most in control of their life, are those that can tell me all the ways that they're fucked up. And I, I have conversations. I remember one particular conversation with a friend who I shan't name because they, they will not like it. And they, I know they listen to this podcast where... I asked them their flaws. And as their friend, I think as friends, we can always identify glaringly obvious flaws in our friends. We know what they're good and bad at sometimes, and unfortunately more than they do. And my friend sat there and went, oh, nothing. Um, yeah, couldn't think of anything, right? Could think of all the things they were good at, but couldn't identify their own flaws. And it struck me in that moment that they had the most sort of debilitating, dangerous flaw of them all, which is that lack of self-awareness. I think everybody 
should have a very, very clear idea and also brag about the fact that they know what they're shit at and what their insecurities are and how they're damaged and how their childhood fucked them up. I think those are the people that I bet on the most. Those are the people that are conscious about the things that might hold them back and therefore can do something about them. If anyone you encounter in an interview or on a date or wherever, a colleague at work, can't tell you accurately what their flaws are, how they're fucked up, or what they're not good at, or what their recurring toxic thoughts and habits and patterns are, then that's deeply concerning. Because perfection definitely doesn't exist, right? We know that for sure. But we also know that a lack of self-awareness certainly does. If someone can't accurately identify what their own flaws are, then they have the most dangerous flaw of them all. A total lack of self. You are always one decision away from taking your business to the next level. And a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite, who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already, NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud, so you can access it from anywhere. And the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky, and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head to netsuite.com slash Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode. Awareness. The next point in my diary is about labels. And I've just written in my diary, resisting my own labels. Society and culture and Instagram is very, very quick to tell you to go and find your passion or to go and find your thing or what you are or who you are as if it was like preordained or predetermined for you before you were born. And this like, I think this, this, this fuels this culture of labeling, but we also have this innate desire to fit and uh, to be identified and to fit in. So we search for labels that, that make us make sense. And this year I quit my business. I was the CEO of Social Chain. And as I am, um, as I left my business, I left with that label. It's what the world knows me as. It's my sort of adopted, but also like earned identity. I am a CEO of a social media business. And as I reflected upon that, as I was out in the, the jungle in Costa Rica, writing my book, which you can now pre-order, Happy Sexy Millionaire on Amazon, um, I started writing about this idea of labels and how really, really dangerous they are. We all have labels. And I don't mean just labels as in work titles. I mean, some of us have labelled ourselves poor. We've labelled ourselves a poor person or a rich person. Mum, dad, tall, short, fat, black, white. These are all labels we've given ourselves. CEO, intern, creative, right? These are all labels. I don't think any of them really help. When I left social chain, you know, Typically, what you'd think, okay, successful social media CEO, oh, he's going to go and start another social media business. And I just thought, but but why? I've done that. I've achieved that. I've built a great social media company. I don't have to be my label. What what I am, fundamentally, if you want to get down to the, 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 the sort of fundamentals, is like, I'm a set of skills and experiences, and a set of skills and experiences that should theoretically be able to be applied to any... Um, challenge that I put myself to. And if I, if I, if I, if I 
just focus on these labels, CEO, social media business, there's a high chance I might lose some of the joy of life, which is the spontaneity and the exploration. I might start to just live out my label. And I think a lot of people do that. They live out the label that they are a mum and only a mum and they can't be anything more or they are a poor person or they are a this or that or whatever. And these labels, I think, are more restrictive than they are beneficial. So what I said to myself this year upon leaving Social Chain was that I was just going to resist all my fucking labels and try and live life on those on that basis because these labels are just a bunch of society-induced, uh, given bullshit. And so the first thing I did was obviously the Diary of a CEO, right? So the Diary of a CEO live, live show is a big theatrical performance. You guys that haven't bought tickets, I really think you should have bought tickets because it's such an amazing thing. It's basically like a a, a theatrical performance. I'm giving the game away a little bit here, but I wanted to create like a theatrical performance because, because why not? Because that's not, because I'm creative, right? The next thing I did was write a book. Again, not in line with the labels of being a social media CEO. I wrote every word of that book, no ghostwriters. Because again, like I'm creative and I have ideas. These are the fundamental constitutes of who I am. Then I started to learn how to DJ because that's interesting and fun as well. And then I started working in biotech because that's interesting and I can apply myself to that as well. And I've basically, for the last six months, completely resisted all of the things that my labels tell me I should do. Um, And I really think it's a much better way to live. I think there's this real sort of insecurity and comfort seeking nature in all of us that tells us to go and be the thing we just were and to stay in our lane. And I think the danger is that if I start to believe that because I've spent the last 10 years doing this thing on social media and being a CEO, that the next 10 years has to be the, the same or that my comfort or happiness or I, I'm only allowed to be my past, I think my life will be really like one dimensional and shallow. One of my goals for the next year that I've already started to implement is to resist my labels and to just focus on the fact that I am nothing. I am just a guy with a bunch of skills who can apply those skills to a bunch of different things that he might enjoy. And um, I think a lot of the time, in fact, that's why people don't quote unquote find their passion. Not that it is some Easter egg that's waiting at the bottom of your garden for you to find, but because they think too narrowly about what and who they are. They go to one school with a certain sort of economic situation, socioeconomic situation, and then they start looking at five things and saying, well, I don't like any of these five things. When you broaden your approach and when you stop living your life through your own labels, I think you can discover how many different things you love. And and for me, variety is the spice of life. And labels are the antithesis of variety. They are pigeonholing. They are excitement killing. And they are unnecessary. They're one of the things in life that aims to guide you, but paradoxically will lead you astray. Okay, so the next lesson, which I I felt like I have somewhat of an obligation to talk to you guys about, because I know there's going to be some of you listening to this podcast that aren't doing this and haven't probably even considered it yet because you just don't think it's important. Um, one of the most important things that everybody listening to this podcast should be doing, and I say this as someone that does this and spends at least two hours a day doing this, is investing your money. Um, there's, a, there's a couple of important sort of sub points to this. Find ways to spend less find ways to save more and find ways to invest even more. And when, when we talk about investing, typically you think of investing as something that other people do, right? Like wealthy people that live in, you know, 
Canary Wharf in London or New York City, run around in suits, waving pieces of paper at the stock exchange and investing their money. Um, But genuinely, 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 if you learn the habit of investing your money now, it, it can have a completely disproportionate impact on how free your life is in 10, 20 or 30 years time. And when I talk about investing, people will often come back to me and say, well, I just don't understand it, right? They'll say, oh, I just don't, I just don't know. And I think it's like, isn't it tragic that in, a, in, a, in, an, in an era where we have the sum total of the world's information at our fingertips and with 5G internet, so we can get it in a, in a, in a second, that not understanding something, which is actually quite simple, if you just gave a couple of hours to it, is the barrier that's stopping a lot of people from ever building their wealth. And like living hand to mouth is like, okay, if you're earning a decent salary, but if you want to build wealth, which is ultimately freedom, I think of money as just like freedom coins and you're letting, I just don't understand it because you've never Googled it and never tried, be the barrier, be the first hurdle that you can't even jump. For me, that's a great shame. And I did this for a long time. I did this for maybe 25 years. I think I started investing capital when I was about 26 years old. But up until 25 years, I just thought, oh, well, investing is for other people, right? People that aren't like me. And my thing is I can, I need to make more money and then just save it. No, your money can act like a, like soldiers. It can go out every day, take prisoners and come back with more, right? And that's what you should be doing with your money. If you don't know how to invest and, um, because you don't understand it, or you don't understand cryptocurrency or Bitcoin or whatever, Google it, please. I swear to God, if there was one investment of your time that stands to make you multiple riches over the next 10 or 20 years, it's just learning what this investing thing is. And it could quite literally take you 10 hours to understand. 10 hours to genuinely multiply your future wealth. And you're letting I don't understand it stand in the way of you and your chances of being wealthy. I don't actually know how someone can be wealthy without understanding investing, outside of winning the lottery or starting a very big business that that ends up being sold or acquired or whatever. Or, you know, when I'm, and I'm keyword here, not rich, I'm, I'm talking about wealthy, right? But I also know how someone who is earning a wage, a decent wage, can become a multi, 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 multi-millionaire by just doing the most basic form of investing, but the problem is they don't teach you this stuff in school. So this is one of the things in life where you're going to have to do it yourself. You're going to have to go and put those 10 hours in. My brother said to me one day, he said, um, I was talking about, you know, what to do with my money. I was like, bro, I'm going to, my brother's an investment manager and an investment banker. I said, bro, I'm going to, um, I'm going to buy a house. And he turned to me, he said, Steve, if everybody knows how to do it, the returns are low. And he said, how many people do you know that are buying houses and that know how to buy a house? I said, everybody, I know. Everybody in social chain, all 700 people. Some people have two or three houses. He went, then don't do that. He said, if you want a higher return, you have to go and do the thing that most people don't know how to do. And he went, investing. Most people don't ever bother to teach themselves about investing. We all typically live in this world where... Um, the narrative is you, you you go to university, whatever, you, you get a job and then you go and get that mortgage and you buy a house. That's the path. So just like thinking logically, it does make sense that there would be greater returns doing the thing that nobody's told you about or that is off-piste, right? And that's what investing is. And we're, we're seeing a real renaissance moment at the moment with young people, old people who would never invest before because of apps like Revolut and Monzo and how easy it's become to invest, start to get into investing, but also because of Bitcoin, that pulls a ton of people in. And I just want, I, I would just, I think if I could give you a, a piece of value, if there's something you could come away from the podcast and think, do you know what? 
that was the day where I started investing. Then I, then I think that would be a tremendous, um, a tremendous thing that I've done. Because if I could just get one person listening to this podcast to put in those hours and to Google how to invest and to get the Hargreave Lansdowne app or an investment app on their phone and just start putting £10 in every single month into the index funds or the S&P 500 or into Facebook stock or whatever it might be, then I think the habit you'll learn and the rules you'll learn about money will change your life and the, the life of your kids forever. So I think that's a, I just couldn't not say it today. The last point of my diary this week kind of goes against what you typically hear from people. There's a narrative which is circulating social media at the moment about burnout and about, you know, don't work too hard because it'll destroy your mental health and all of those kinds of things. But I just want to bring a bit of nuance and realism to this debate. Um, hard work does really, really matter. And I um people like don't like when I say this because they they think that I'm I'm pushing that hustle porn star thing. There's a caveat to this, like hard work really, really matters if you want to achieve really great things. And the reason why I'm comfortable with saying that and with it feeling true is because I can't think of one person that I know, founder of a company, um, philanthropist, activist, that has achieved really great things, scientists, without really hard work. Even the, you know, the, the absolute astonishing job they've done with the vaccine, with Operation Warp Speed, where they managed to get this vaccine done in a fraction of the time with urgency. I can't think of one person I know that's been wildly successful that hasn't worked really, really hard. Not one. So as much as tempting as it is, and I know for a fact that if I do a tweet saying hard work doesn't matter, take care of your dog and take your wife for dinner. I know if I tweet that, I'll get shit loads of retweets, but it's just not true. It, and like, I know people don't like when I say this. But can you think of one person in your life that has been extraordinarily successful in like building a company or or that sort of initial uphill graph that it takes to achieve great things that hasn't worked really, really, really hard? I can't. And so I think that's important. But, but, But here's the thing. Hard work at the expense of all of the other things in life that make life worth living, family, relationships, your dog. Hard work at the expense of those things is illogical because as I've come to learn even more so this year, and as I hope I'll continue to realize in 2021, the ultimate goal is happiness. That is the North Star. That is the sort of prism in which you should look to make all of your decisions, right? Not success, not being really, really rich, not being happy, sexy millionaire, like I wrote in my diary at 18 years old. It's happiness. That is the North Star. And if hard work or your career or your job or any of that stuff compromises your happiness, then it's not worthwhile. But I don't want to lie to you. And I wouldn't be sat here now. You wouldn't be listening to my podcast. I wouldn't have all this stuff. I wouldn't be in this penthouse in London with these people around me if I didn't work really, really fucking hard for a long period of time. But I managed to do it and I managed to maintain my focus on that North Star, which was being happy. And that's really the nuance that this debate needs. And I genuinely believe that anybody that tries to tell you otherwise is lying to your face. Thank you so much for listening. We're back again next week with an amazing, amazing guest on this podcast. And 2021 is the year of the Diary of a CEO. It's the year where we're going to deliver a podcast every single Monday. And I'm going to own your Monday. Um, we're going to be consistent. And we're, we're urgently stepping up our level of ambition with this show. 
Thank you so much for listening. I feel like I didn't, I, I don't say that enough to all of you guys. It means a ton to, to me. And honestly, there'll be little moments where I'm in the street or in the gym or someone will say something about the podcast and it just puts this tremendous fire under my belly to continue to do it because we're waking up early Saturday mornings at 7am, 5am sometimes to record this show. It requires a huge commitment and the driving force behind that commitment is all of your feedback. If you're listening on YouTube, hit the subscribe button. If you're listening on the, the, the Spotify or the podcast or hit the subscribe button, it means a ton to me and it's more fuel for this movement. Um, and yeah, it, it's the reason why we can keep bringing you th- these episodes and I'll see you again next week for another installment of The Diary of a CEO. You are always one decision away from taking your business to the next level. And a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite, who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already, NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud, so you can access it from anywhere. And the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky, and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks, so head to netsuite.com slash Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode.